0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 114 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko,
1: and I'm Florence Ion of the Internet. Oh no, wait, I'm Russell <laughs> Flows Away this week. She's uh, well, we can we can make we can make it sound like she's on assignment. Ooh, <laughs>
0: on secret assignment. It's under NDA. She's uh she's she's in Montreal. Ooh. I'm and you can go Google for you know, what's in Montreal. That would be so important, uh, Android-wise. Uh, no, she's she she's got the week off, and so it's just us this time. Uh, hopefully, we will have enough stuff to talk about. Even though we're we have only two thirds of the brain power of the normal assortment. Um, I will say that I, I have less I have less to talk about because uh, I finally got Android O on my Pixel phone last night. And I was planning on spending the entire show essentially complaining about how the O has been out for a week, and I've got an actual Google Pixel phone, and I have not received the O update yet. <laughs> so now I can only say that okay, it, it installed, it worked great,
1: so I like it. Po- Politi fact checking here, Andy. You you got it without actually signing up to the beta. You just got it as part of a normal over the air update.
0: Right. This is the this is on the Pixel phone that I bought, uh, uh reconditioned. I had I had. Oh, on the beta Nexus 6P that I've been running, you know, testing out the beta on. And I just, I don't know, I just thought that magically the fact that it's a Pixel phone means that I'm special and I get things before everybody else does. And I don't have to wait a week for these things. It's like, And I'm I'm sure now everybody who like has like a Samsung phone that isn't the S8 or an HTC or any other phone that were like, oh, well, I just got Nougat two months ago. Imagine you owe me a new keyboard because my tears on your behalf have short-circuited my my laptop here. and you complaining you had to wait an entire week to get the very latest operating system for your phone?
1: One whole week. Um. So, what have you had much of a chance to play with it? Like, what what are your kind of thoughts? I love it. Uh, It's it doesn't seem that obviously. I was using
0: the the beta for months and months and months, but uh, I was using the uh, the Pixel phone as my primary phone since I got it a couple of weeks ago, and so it's not as though Android N is a hell of a downgrade. But oh boy, do you do I notice the differences? Like, I I love uh, pressing and holding. Uh, an app icon and the launcher and bringing up all the, not just the shortcuts you'd see in an end, but now, there is another button for here is here are the widgets that associated with this do you want to put a clock widget on your desktop do you want to put uh, a, a google keep widget on your desktop and also something that uh, i hadn't noticed the, before which was the information icon that's, uh, that's attached to that pop-up so now if you want to remove this app or you want to find out what the battery performance of this app are it's all done through that pop-up you can still drag it off but it just seems like a it's such a simple thing to add, but it makes things so tidy. I really really like it so i, I i'm I'm having a lot of fun, a lot of fun with it uh, the new camera app seems to rock very nicely so i I haven't had that I haven't been out of the house that much unfortunately, so I haven't been able to really use it as much as I've been meaning to but yeah notifications, the new app structure
1: uh, I'm really really happy with it so far. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan as well. Um, I, I did have one day where my battery life was a bit weird but the problem is you install a new operating system and you're always looking for things. You're like, oh, is that how it's always been? Has it always been like weird days every now and again? Did it, was it called, caused by Android O? Did I do something? But I, I've been away at a conference uh, for the last three days um, just in Melbourne, Australia and amazing battery life for like two of those days and one of those days it was just almost flat by lunchtime and I'm like, what What exactly are you doing? I don't understand. And I went into the, the battery settings and it's it it didn't seem to have a clear explanation for where on earth my battery went. It just disappeared into the ether. So yeah, I don't know if you've had anything like that.
0: No, no, my battery life's been great, and I yeah I thought that maybe this is something that'll be fixed as uh, new apps start to be released. With every with every update, there's the stuff that you get for free with the update. Because you've got this new infrastructure, you've also got all the new Google, the updated Google apps, which get updated almost immediately. But then you have to wait a few months for all of the apps that you normally rely on that aren't made by Google to slowly start to get those features. Like, I mean, you're you you are you are the developer of a of a keynote app for uh, for Android. Like, is it is it really? Do you think that developers really? Are eager to make sure that on the week of release, they've got all of the Android O features in their old app? Or do they know that this is going to take weeks, if not months, for people to get it? We can take some time
1: to play with this. I mean, what's the timetable, you think? I think it's it's somewhere in between, right? There, there's a lot of developers who see some marketing advantage to being there on day one because what happens is, especially pixel owners, they get excited. They tend to be early adopters. They've installed the OS and they're like, "What new features can I play with?" And the, they there is, you know, a lot of evidence that suggests that they go looking for the app store and you know what's new and what's updated. And that is a way to kind of generate interest in your app. But I guess for some developers like us, like at Pocket Cast, we've been around for like a while. And I guess our thing is like we no longer try to jump on, on day one and get like absolutely every single feature in that we can get. We're, we're just kind of aiming for sort of two to three weeks out from release to to try and have most of the features and try and have like a really solid you know release to go out with them because you're right, there is a whole bunch of um, battery life improvements, there's some notification improvements. Um, th- there's just a few other things in Android O that we're, we're kind of adopting at the moment. And, you know, we, we just... I guess we're waiting we we don't want to put it out on day one rush it out because we have done that in the past and anything you rush out like that tends to be full of bugs and I don't know, maybe I'm getting old, but I don't want to spend like the next you know three weeks doing point 0.1, point 0.2, point 0.3, <laughs> point 0.4, point 0.5 updates. Like I'd rather just be to test it, you know, for three or four weeks, make sure it's all solid, and then then put it out there. But it's it's all really good improvements. And I will say, as developers, there's also the thing that sometimes Google, for example, they introduced things this thing called job scheduler with Android 5.0. And the idea was um hey, developers, stop waking up the phone, you know, whenever the heck you want, if it's in deep sleep sleep, or if it's not even connected to Wi Fi or doesn't have like cell reception, like you're you're wasting the user's battery life. Don't do that. They could be on a flight. They could be, you know, anywhere. And so they introduced this thing and obviously as developers we looked at it and we were like, oh, that's interesting. That's a completely different way of doing things. And I don't know if this is true of all developers but we kind of waited. We're like, ah oh, let's just see where this goes. Like is it still going to be around in 6.0? Is it going to be enhancements? And it did get enhancements in 6 and it got more enhancements in 7. And then in Android 8, Google were like, yeah, you should really start using this and we're <laughs> going to force you to use this now, which is fair enough. And so because we hadn't switched to it early, I guess we've got a bit more work to do than, than most people.
0: Yeah, there's so much crap in the in Android that um, I mean, they were they were lucky to, after after they after the iPhone came out and everybody on the Android team realized that oh so everything we've been doing up to this point is worthless. Okay, let's see how fast we can get something that superficially at least looks like a multi-touch operating system. It's uh, there. I, I can't imagine all the garbage that was in Android that is still taking Google time to sort of get that cruft out of there. Uh, like I, I remember, uh, was it 5.0, I think it was a year, no, two years ago, when like the camera app, was the, the, the stock Google camera app was almost unusable because it would just, you'd launch the app and then it would take like 30 seconds sometimes and i thought that you think that oh well they'll just update the update the app it must be a bug in the app and it comes out that no it's because of the infrastructure of of android <laughs> where you of course you don't you take your phone out of your pocket and wake it up because you want to take a picture and then like a hundred apps say oh <laughs> the cpu has been lit up great now's my time to to look for look for instagram updates now's my time to look for, to check up gps and so it's doing all that stuff and you just want to get a picture of you with George Lucas, and now Mr. Lucas is saying, "Oh, using, if you had an iPhone, you would have the selfie instead of <laughs> the story of me saying goodbye because I have to catch a train." So much of uh, so much of the improvements of Android are just again things that if you've been using an iPhone, you've been sort of used to. Uh, you, you, it was no, it should not have been a mind-blowing feature to be able to put your <laughs> have a long weekend in which you don't leave the house. And then, like, pick up the phone that you put on the sofa 36 hours earlier, and see that it's only lost like two percent battery. That blew my mind the first time it happened in Android because I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm definitely. used to. I know. Yeah, you know, I know. I didn't take this out of my pocket for the past five hours, but I know the
1: battery's almost dead. I I, I find that part of Android really fascinating because you're right, Andy. Andy. Uh, Andy. Android. Um. Uh, Precedes iOS in some ways. I guess they started development around the same time. But the original idea—I don't know if you remember—it was a it was a rectangular screen, so horizontally, it had a little um, joysticky type thing. It had a physical keyboard. It was kind of designed for that era. And it's interesting, yeah, you know, how era. fast they sort of pivoted into oh, we better make a touch screen thing. And then you had the iPhone in 2007, and Apple's idea was initially no apps so 2008 finally there was apps and you could do almost nothing with those apps in the background there was no backgrounding there was almost nothing it was just it was super locked down to no app could talk to any other apps there was no other way to do anything it was just while the screen was on and your app was open, you could do stuff. When that disappeared, that was it, nothing for you. And Google came from the completely opposite approach. They're like, oh, we're, you know, we're building these these frameworks and you can listen for events and yeah, maybe the Wi-Fi turned on or maybe the phone booted. Do you, want to, do you want to be notified when the phone booted? And developers are like, yes, yes, I do. Thank you very much. <laughs> and these two completely different approaches have I think now finally with Android O kind of met in the middle. Like Apple has a multitude of multitasking options and backgrounding options and ways to sort of wake up your app in insensible sort of battery saving ways and Google's ended up in the same place. They now do this thing, they're like, no, you can no longer be notified every single time the camera's open. Um, if you want to be notified when the phone actually boots up, that's a really restrictive permission that like only a few apps get and it's that they've tightened it up and I guess Apple's kind of loosened their restrictions and they've they've almost, almost, not quite, but they've almost ended up in exactly the same spot. Mm.
0: Well, it's, it's nice to have a really, really good competitor to observe, cheat off of, be inspired by. And to, when, they, when, when your friend comes back from the, from his zip lining tour with his arm in a sling, great. I didn't have to make that mistake. My friend made that mistake. I can observe this mistake and not make it myself.
1: <laughs> yes, there, there are tons of those kind of things. My, my favorite as, a, as an Android developer is that they're still on click events. So it's on iOS, it's all touch events, but on Android, it's actually click events because in Android zero point whatever, you were actually physically clicking with with things, you weren't touching.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder. If, I wonder if I still have my HTC One somewhere. Uh, what was it with the One or the G? I forget what they called it. They, the I, the I
1: think the One was the One was later, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the G.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it was the I think it was, I'm confused with the G one. Yeah, and yeah, it was so different. Uh, a touch uh, a, a touch based phone with a slide out keyboard when that didn't seem like a ridiculous thing <laughs> that could barely get online and sort of run. Th- oh, oh goodness, but yeah, it's a, what, what it's 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 a wonderful thing that from those humble beginnings now we have a super super competitive operating system i just wish that they could that uh, i hope that this new infrastructure for uh, making it easier for hardware makers to do os updates i hope that actually pays off because i don't know i don't know how to recommend people android phones without saying try to get a pixel phone try to get something directly from google because if i wonder actually i wonder if this is part of the culture of android users if you're coming to android from iphone it's Gotta annoy the hell out of you that you're not getting a new update the moment that it's made available. Because Apple t- I'm even a little bit surprised that every qualified phone doesn't get Android O the day that O is officially released. I I'm I'm sure there are good reasons why they sort of string things out a little bit, but uh, that's that does. I'm not a hurt. I'm not offended. I'm uh, I'm pleased to get it, but it seems a bit odd. But and but realize that I've been an Android user now for like three four years, so I'm sort of used to it. But I don't know what I would tell a friend of mine who bought a, a Motorola phone uh, on my recommendation, and then ha- I have to explain, well, here's why you don't have O now, and you probably won't have it for another three or four months.
1: Yeah. And not, not only that but the, the manufacturers that you used to consider really good, Motorola for example, used to roll out updates super quickly to to their phones or whatever and now they tend to lag behind. So oddly enough, like Samsung, one of the biggest defenders of not giving old phone updates, I'd, I'd almost award them you know, the most approved improved badge for like the last 12 months because we, we have all their phones. Like we buy all of them. Got the S5, got the S6, got the S7, got the S8. We need them for testing. And it used to be the case if you had like an S5, so that's like three generations ago, Samsung was like bye, nice knowing you, like, you know, time to buy a new phone. Um, Now they're actually still releasing updates to it. So those phones are still getting security updates. They're still getting like major iOS updates as well. Like some of them have gone to 6, others have gone to like Android 7. And I know if you're an iOS user, that doesn't sound impressive at all. You're like, oh, that's nice. The S6 got like Android 7, like pat, pat, pat. But compared to a few years ago, that is an improvement. So I've seen Google doing a whole bunch of things in this area. They've separated some of the, this is really sort of low-level stuff, but some of the driver stuff from being directly tied to their OS and a few other things that should in theory make updating even easier. But I guess now the clock is ticking. You know, Android O was officially launched. You know, it was given to hardware manufacturers like a while ago. Um, how long does it take, the LGs and the Motorola's and the Samsung's of this world to to update it? Especially things like their flagship phones. So you've got the S8, didn't come out that long ago. You've got the Note 8, which is literally just launching in uh, a week or two, I think they're going to start shipping. Ah, well, what point are they going to get Android O? And is that going to be an improvement on last year? I think <laughs> these are always the kind of things we look for.
0: I guess uh, maybe we can just say the culturally Android users were just more patient. Are we though, <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least, well, we're, we're patient in as much as we can use that as more ammunition to say that we are somehow better than an iPhone user. I don't know.
1: Yes, you see, I don't get the updates on day one because uh, it's a superior pipeline that Google is introducing here. It's shielding me from all the bugs that you know all these other poor people have to go through. Yeah, it. I think you're right, Andy. It does kind of become the normal after a while. Like I sometimes get iPhone users, you know, they, they have digs at me. They're like, oh, you didn't, didn't get an oh, like, update yet. Oh, what's going on? And it doesn't seem unusual until they point out you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, on iOS you still get <laughs> like updates from Apple uh, day one, you know, and they roll out sort of worldwide to 500 million people or whatever. You're like, hmm, I wish we had that.
0: <laughs> so how was DevWorld? World?
1: Our devil it was good. So for those that are not familiar with it, it's a um it used to be like a university based conference. It's still kind of um, governed by a university body, but it's it's in Melbourne, Australia, every year. It's been going for ten years now. So this was their tenth anniversary, and um it, it's funny. I know both Andy and I. Moonlight has um. Sort of iOS people as well. So I'm I'm an iOS developer. That's one of the things I do. I do Android development as well. So this is predominantly like a, a Mac slash iOS conference, and you get some really interesting stuff that happens there. There's um there's always one of my favorite people who turns up with um really old Macintoshes and things like that, and um you know connects them to the internet through you know five dongles <laughs> and some Raspberry Pi's and all sorts of like codes and <laughs> hacks and things. Um, last year he had like the the Mac Classic sort of tweeting. Um, actually, on the internet, like sending out tweets through Hypercard, I believe uh, that was quite interesting. <laughs> and this year, we actually had Sal Sagoyan. So for those, um, oh. yeah, Apple people that know him, he used to basically run the automation team at Apple. Like was it responsible him and his team for you know AppleScript and all sorts of other um, automator, other sort of funky scripting things. So he's he's now sort of in in the private industry trying to do the same sort of thing. He's pushing the whole you know app automation. Um, type thing and that that was really interesting to see someone who's who 's that well known in the industry and been around for that long kind of you know sharing his thoughts about where we need to go because I, I guess you 'd know this andy we 're still kind of sometimes in that space where I open this app and I do this thing in it then I have to send it off to this app and now I have to do this thing in it, and then you 've got this kind of app pipeline, but sometimes it 's really hard even on android to to string those things together into you know i guess you'd call it a workflow if you like of like I just want to go from a to b and it doesn 't matter how many apps I have to go through I just want to quickly breeze through those so yeah that's that's kind of where his focus is now so that that was interesting
0: yeah, Salzegoin is just amazing. He was. I'm, I'm. I'm still disappointed that Apple decided that his position was no longer relevant to the company because he he was the person. There he was one of the one of the reasons why automation on the Mac exists because he was just such a and it's not just evangelizing it to developers outside of Apple, but it was also evangelizing it inside Apple. He would. He would. He would. Uh, there. there there are ways to get approvals for formal approvals to get features put into like iMovie, what he would do instead was just tack up a <laughs> tack up a piece of paper under the bulletin board, saying that I will person uh, I Sal Segoian, will personally give a thousand dollars to somebody who adds uh who, who writes AppleScript ex- uh, extensions for iMovie, and then well someone would create <laughs> AppleScript extensions for <laughs> iMovie he would give them a thousand dollars and then now they have this code why not use it he would get it in there and that's that's the sort of cowboy stuff that you just don't you just don't hear about and if I'm not again I'm not pleased that uh, it's Apple's loss, but at least he can spread his, uh, his Sal segoian to more parts of the industry. I mean, his big deal has always been that it's not really your computer if you can't control it. And being able to script it at the very least and automate things, automate processes is something that makes it uniquely yours. So it's not even as complicated as uh, uh, as writing Python scripts on a Raspberry Pi, just the ability to do an automator uh, workflow, if you're familiar with, uh, with the Mac, where it's, it's almost like clicking Legos together, these pre-configured little modules that you just say – take this file and then you put another thing underneath it that says and then change the file name to this and then take get get a list of all the things in that folder and then uh transmogrify all of those into jpegs that are no more than 480 pixels wide and then put all those into a pdf and then upload it to a pdf to a pdf excuse me to a file server here and it's like How many times do you have to go through the same thing over and over and over again before you realize that if it takes me a whole day to learn how to automate this, this is the last time I will ever have to think about that because from now on, all I have to do is download a file into this folder. And as soon as it hits that folder, this thing automatically happens. It's not just about smoothing your – making your day go more smoothly. There really is a sense of ownership because you're the only one – uh, this your computer is the only computer in the world that does it exactly that way because you're the only person who has exactly that problem. So it, it really is all about ownership, and that's something that I think that we're missing a lot with uh, Android phones and iOS. Where we just have no idea what's going on, we just install apps and
1: do what the apps tell us to do. So yeah, I mean Chromebooks as well. Like we we see a lot of that sort of productization of of computing, and sometimes that's really good. Like um, I know some people are really intimidated by computers from ten years ago, and there's they can do so much that sometimes it actually feels crippling. You're like, am I gonna break it if I press this button? And so <clears throat> I think Android and iOS and Chrome OS have done amazing things to make computing easier for everyone, but I think they've also put barriers in the way of you know people as they get a bit more experience with computers. They're so like, right? I want to, I want to do this thing. And you're like, oh, can I actually do this thing? And if it, you doing this thing ends up being like a thirty step process that you have to do, you know, twelve times a day. That, that's all right. You can still get there. You're not completely restricted. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could just script that whole thing? You know, you, you do feel a sense of empowerment. I remember the first time, um, as a developer, you know, I started in the industry or whatever, and I had this, this really convoluted process I had to do to get a build to a server. And another developer just tapped me on the back and he's like, hey. Um, I see what you're doing there, like it's fine, like it works, but have you considered that you could actually script this? I'm like, what? What? He's like, yeah, like here's Bash, like here's how you do a few commands, it's not that hard. Um, show me what you do and I'm like, yeah, I do this and then I do this. He's like, fine, you just detail that out here and he's like, watch this? And you press one button and the whole script just runs through it. And I'm like, ooh, that just saved me like half an hour of every day. <laughs> it's that feeling of like empowerment. They're like, what else can I do now? Yeah, I I, I, mean, I, I, was,
0: I was sort of the same way. There was... Uh, I used to, my blog used to be supported by a content management system that I wrote myself because WordPress didn't exist. I think I even started that blog before there was even a word for a blog. It was just, you know, you, there, there's, you've, there is this thing called <laughs> called the, the World Wide Web. There is this thing called HTML, and there are ways to make things look bold and italics, which is basically all I knew about it. And if you edit this text file and put it on this computer that's running this piece of software, and you start off with writing little posts and realizing how much time you're spending converting it to an HTML file – Uh, and then uh, how much time you're spending just uploading it to the, uh, to the same, uh, to the same directory every single time. So I've, that's when I, I was always using Apple script, but that's when it kicked up into high gear first was, okay, I'm just going to create a script that just makes sure that it's posted. It it's, gets FTP would without my having to use an extra app. Great. So then, after, then a couple weeks later, it's, I wonder how difficult it would be to just add like the HTML blocks to the start and the finish of that. Not that hard. Okay, great. So now that's another thing I don't have to do. And then a couple weeks later, it wouldn't be that hard to like do all the bold face and all that formatting. And then more scripts to like add date stamps and more scripts uh, to do more content Complex organization, and uh, then uh, uh, RSS uh, syndication format came out. So I had to learn how RSS worked, and then write more scripts. And uh, I was finally getting to the point where I was f- writing scripts to figure out how I can post from my iPhone uh, or my whatever, my, whatever. No, not my iPhone. That way before that, but whatever my phone was. That, that was finally the point at which WordPress had been out for a few years, and I was and. and Uh, you're right about that that sense of ownership I was I was stalling switching over to WordPress because it was certainly a superior product it was certainly a lot easier to just wait for WordPress to (laughs) to add a new feature than for me to write a feature about if if you send an email from your phone it becomes a blog post but it's like this is mine this is the this is the (laughs) there is nobody else updating a website with quabber which is what I call the call the app and so and in the process, you learn so much about how things work and you become a lot less dumb in general. So that's... My hope is that I, I. One of the things that brought me to Android to begin with was the ability to do a lot more customiz- customization and to not have everybody else's iPhone, but to have an Android phone that is set up exactly the way I want it. Uh, but that's not to say that I wouldn't like to be able to run scripts on it. Uh, there are some. I. I never really got into some of the automation tools on Android. Oddly enough, as much as I'm crowing about this, because uh, it was they just seem really complicated.
1: Yeah, a lot of them a lot of them do. In fact, I would be really interested if our listeners have any uh, recommendations for like automation tools that they use. Um I I've seen a ton of things in the past like I've seen Tasker or I've, I've Tasker, seen some other yeah. yeah, other applications like that. But the just even from the design of those apps like no disrespect to the developers at all those amazing apps, but it just feels really unapproachable and i, I I'll never forget my famous uh famous my favorite automation story I should say um don't forget that automation can also be about lording it over your your peers and coworkers so <laughs> um the the person I started this company with like um philip we used to work together at a different place and it was a majority like windows pcs there was a few macs like I, I had one of the Macs that were in there. And Phil came along, and the company had this really good policy of like, you choose what operating system you run, you choose your tool chain or whatever. So he's like, I'm going to run Linux. You know, I love Linux. And, um, you know, we, we had a bit of a chuckle about that. And then uh, we, we had all these things in the office you had to connect to. So, for example, you wanted to print, you wanted to print to a HP printer or whatever. And Phil spent I don't know three hours or something in some printer configuration file and downloading cups drivers and and it just couldn't print and I'm like what's this Phil and so I went to Automator I said you know when something <laughs> lands in my this particular folder on my Mac which is like a public publicly shared folder send it to the printer and print it I'm like just copy a file into there and so he's like you know SCP whatever he copied the file in and out it comes to the printer I'm like yeah Mac's a superior look at that
0: yeah <laughs> well that's it. I, I'm glad that that's why one of the reasons why I love Raspberry Pi so much, especially uh, for kids, because it's as the I I was cons- I, I like I mean Apple's just this week was talking about how they're creating new free curriculums to uh, uh, to teach uh, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to teach Swift programming and uh, in schools, and that's nice. I mean, it's it's allows. Kids to learn how to be creative through code, and that's always a good thing. Uh, but I remember what it was like to have an Apple IIe where you—that uh, was the Apple IIe was probably the last computer I ever owned that I felt like I own everything in here. I know everything that goes on inside here. I know I all the way down to popping off the top and knowing which chips do what and what the responsibility of what is to anything else. I mean, granted, this is when I was a teenager and, you know, the, the amount of energy you have to be obsessed about something when you're a teenager, you will never have that kind of focus or obsession on anything else as long as you live. Uh, and I wound up writing an entire operating system for it because again i i knew how the disk drive worked i knew how the stepper motors worked i knew all that sort of stuff and uh, i love the raspberry pi because it's uh, not only is it just really cool to have a 10 dollar computer that does all that stuff but also the idea of if i want a if i need to make a square screen that is uh, 512 by 512 i can do that i just have to learn how linux defines a screen and then i can tweak a text file somewhere that says that don't pay attention to what the display driver tells you i'm telling you right now that the screen you're attached to is 512 pixels and square and then you feel like a god because i didn't (laughs) i you don't i don't have to justify why i wanted a 512 pixel square screen i just simply had to want that to happen and be arrogant and bullheaded enough to keep working on until it works so i'm glad i'm glad that kids get the same sort of Opportunities.
1: Definitely. I mean, that's part of the dopamine sort of levels of, of being a developer, isn't that, that hit of like, <laughs> I, I controlled something. I'm the master of like this domain. It's, it's, it is seriously empowering. And I hope that um, I, d- I did meet a few people at this conference who are, you know, in their second year of university or whatever. I, I won't call them kids, that's, that's a bit demeaning, but, you know, students. They're, they're there sort of studying and whatever else. And it really is also invigorating to see the kind of level of excitement they have about this industry and the kind of things that they're doing things that I never would have even dreamed of like that you've got this machine learning stuff which I understand almost nothing about and they were telling me about quantum computing and and the way you train like neural networks and things like that and I'm just kind of nodding along like yeah I understand <laughs> but at some level I do not understand but I'm really happy that this kind of stuff is, is happening and that you know people are excited by it. Yeah as, as,
0: that's the these are the people that are going to really do all the great stuff because they are starting off today without any preconceptions i i do remember again i've been programming since i was like 10 years old and i remember when object oriented programming became the norm it was it was, always, it was always out there somewhere but it wasn't just the normal thing that you would develop uh, write apps for and i was having such a problem trying to get that I, those ideas in my head because all the programming languages I had learned and I'd learned four or five or six of them were all linear and subroutines. And then you start here, it ends here and you are controlling the flow of the app. You can't just... Uh, And this idea of I'm just going to write a module that simply waits patiently to receive a signal from another piece of code to do something uh, and inheritance. And then, of course, then uh, I'm 18, 19 years old. That's the first time in my life I felt brutally old when I met like a 12-year-old or 13-year-old who was learning C++ as his first language. And he had no preconceptions. He didn't have BASIC. He didn't have Pascal. He didn't have LISP or anything like that. I'm sorry, is object oriented, but he, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so he didn't have to unlearn anything. And those are the people who have the imagination to be completely untethered and make things that are absolutely new. So it's it's always exciting when you're talking to somebody who's uh, in their teens or early twenties. Uh, sorry, people in their late twenties, early thirties, but your uh, <laughs> <laughs> has-beens, forget it. You're part of the hegemony.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it definitely is. And I'll tell you what, Andy, um, there, there are a lot of cloud services now that you can get. So you can get all the Amazons and the Googles and everything else. And and they abstract a whole bunch of stuff uh, from you. But if you want a real sense of power, like you want to feel like you're controlling an actual operating system, uh, this week's sponsor is for you. So it's, it, it's a, le- a returning sponsor. Linode is back. Uh, they let you get set up in seconds with their fast, powerful hosting. Uh, their tools are easy to understand and they let you choose your Linux distro um, and exactly where you want to put it in the cloud. So it's literally like you choose, I want Debian 9 and I want my Debian to go here with this particular configuration. You hit some buttons and boom, there's a machine there in the cloud. So their plans start at just $5 a month, which gives you a Linux server with one gigabyte of RAM. Um, and you might be thinking, what, what are some of the things you can do on there? Well... You could run your own uh, Git server, you could run your own website, you could run a whole lot of back-end services. Like um, We've gotten really into to Kotlin at the moment, so we do a lot of our server-side uh, programming in you know the, the new language that Google announced that uh, IntelliJ has sort of been working on for quite a few years, and it's it's really like a br- breath of fresh air. You get to deploy these straight to your Linode instances, and it's, it's nice. So uh, let me tell you about the pricing option available. Like I said, one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month, You can go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for $60 a month and across the board, Linux are now offering twice the amount of RAM you'll get anywhere else. Uh, so as a listener of the show, if you go to linode.com/material, that's l-i-n-o-d-e.com/material, you'll not only be supporting us, but you get twenty dollars towards your first plan, and it comes with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So nothing to lose. If you find out it's not for you, you can get a full refund, no problems. So linode.com/material to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that twenty-dollar credit, or you can use the promo code material twenty seventeen at checkout. So we want to thank Linode so much for supporting the show and empowering the next generation of you know web web backend developers. Yes,
0: Linode will let you astride this world like a, akin to a colossus, uh, <laughs> or or maybe with Google's new uh, developer software development kit, you can k- create an actual colossus striding this world uh, with the release of AR Core. Uh, I was you know I was really really wondering if Google was going to respond to Apple's AR kit. Because that was by far my favorite announcement of Worldwide Developers Conference this year. Just the possibility of what happens when you give developers the resources to do augmented reality and take what seems to be most of the hard stuff off their hands and let them just simply express their idea and have all the AR code just ready for them to exploit and so it it looks like somebody it looks like somebody had a made a really large pizza order that night in mountain view got 19 people together and says okay how fast can we do something like this so, uh, so it, uh, it incorporates it. The, the blog post in which Google announced it uh, says that they are, it is a outgrowth of their Tango technology. So it's like, what could what, what Tango stuff that we've built can we use or adapt? Uh, without requiring special hardware and special sensors, just whatever is built into the phone uh, it's going to run on Android n or o so uh, it doesn't uh, whereas a uh, uh, AR kit is going to require the latest version of the operating system so you don't necessarily have to have Android O in order to go uh, One sticking point is going to be that obviously something that this that's this intensive needs to be tuned for specific phones. Uh, the uh, They did release a developer preview. It only runs on Pixels and the Samsung Galaxy S8, uh, but Google has said that they are working closely with specific manufacturers, and they name them. And by the time they launch it for consumers at the end of the year, they expect to have a wide portfolio of phones that support it. Uh, and also, it uh, works with uh, Java and OpenGL. Uh, the graphics are based on the Unity and Unreal engines, so it's not as though developers can't Uh, Are are have to learn brand new skills. They have a lot of assets that they can already bring to it. Uh, And it basically does what seems, it seems to me like it does essentially what ARKit does, which is that this uh, SDK will handle the motion tracking. So if you move the, if the user moves the phone around, it'll put whatever AR objects will stay in the, where they've been virtually placed. Uh, It can identify horizontal services, like the ground tables and stuff like that. Uh, and also will handle uh, light and shadow management, so it'll look like it's been lit by the same light source that's uh, that's in there. So it l- so it looks like it's really really cool. The only uh, they had a lot of demos in there. I guess they also gave uh, th- th- so the demo videos you can see they also gave demos to select uh, people that came up to Mountain View uh, for uh, to see it actually in action, uh, and they say that it's that's. Works very very stable. It's still in development, so it's you know if you do something like lower the phone <laughs> to the floor and then up again, it might forget where the Christmas tree was placed uh, the last time you put it up there. Uh, but they say that it's it's uh, there's not the the flicker that they were seeing in the uh, developer versions of ARKit so far. Uh, they were really impressed with the the lighting uh, the lighting effects of it. <clears throat> and uh, one thing I did notice is that. I haven't seen every single AR kit demo uh, be- between Apple and developers but it seems as though every single AR kit app I've seen the demo is of inside lighting and it seemed as though the demos that Google I mean the the, the prepackaged video that they they released which supposedly captured video it's not like they faked it up it's all outside or most almost every demo is outdoors so you have uh, uh, they had the, the characters from the wizard of oz so you see the tin woods been like waiting for a bus outside i uh, see the cowardly lion walking down the street so i i wonder i uh, nothing that google has said so far has indicated that oh and this is they they're not comparing themselves to ar kit so they haven't said this does we do this better than apple does ar kit with this but i wonder if they were sort of saying we've you know, their developers too they've used ar kit they know that that, if it would be interesting if they know internally that this is something that ARKit does not do well, like that really harsh, brutal outdoor sunlight sort of stuff. But we know that our stuff works great, so if we do our demos this way, it'll sort of encourage Apple to try to. <laughs> it'll encourage developers to show off what they can do outside, and we will look better than them. I don't know though. So uh, are you excited about this? I, mean, it's, it's, I don't know what augmented reality will do for podcasting apps. You're still <laughs> you're still a, a, a creative developer.
1: Yeah, that's right. Like I. I'm I guess more than a developer podcasting app. Um, I'm really interested in this because like you said, Andy, uh, Google's been working on Project Tango for many, many years now and their their premise externally anyway to us has always been like you need more sensors, you need more precision, we're going to be able to map an entire room like super accurately. And then AR came along, and you can't map a room super accurately. Like it, it just starts when your phone starts. It can figure out from your starting point, you know, how far you've moved and things like using a combination of the sensors that that tell the phone how it's moving through the physical space, combined with the camera. So these things have different um, sample rates, and you kind of try and compensate for both of those things to try and get a fairly accurate representation of. Uh, how something's moving through space. And Apple proved that that was good enough. Like it's, it's not as good as Project Tango, like it's nowhere near as good, but it's good enough to do like a whole bunch of these cool demos. And I did wonder exactly the same as you, like how long is it going to take Google or some internal team inside of Google that's potentially been pushing for this for a while to be like, see, see, we'd, we'd, maybe we shouldn't just be on one <laughs> phone, maybe we should be on all the phones. And to see some of these demos is really interesting because one of the limitations of AR Kit at the moment is uh, it can only detect horizontal planes, so with respect to gravity, gravity points down. Um, it can only detect horizontal surfaces. Uh, surfaces. Whereas I've seen a lot of these Google demos, and I suspect oh, it's it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to you know AR Kit at Apple to be like, here's a face on a wall, and the wall <laughs> is vertical. <laughs> like that. There are a few things in here that hint that uh, potentially this might have some capabilities that the AR Kit can't even do yet. So I think that that is probably smarter. Uh, by Google, to just you know enable third parties to put that stuff on a website and say look, here 's some stuff and for people to make their own conclusions from that they 're like oh i haven 't seen any ARKit kit stuff where there 's you know eyes coming out of a a physical couch or a wall or something like that that 's interesting
0: <laughs> and creepy <laughs> very yeah, creepy I, yeah
1: it's it's
0: it 's really great i i was see I was concerned that if google doesn't if android doesn 't have something comparable to this." That's that's how you sell phones to people when you sh- show them apps that are exceptionally cool, not not just like cool demos. I mean, the Pokemon go, remember that was done without any support from Apple or from Google. So AR, AR has been out there. and by the way, both of these systems, if you have your own AR technology, you can incorporate it into that. so it's not as though people are uh, losing everything they're doing. Uh, but it's not all about just chasing after imaginary creatures uh, through the park. It's uh, th- there's so many really cool ideas uh like uh, imagine that you uh, imagine imagine that you're uh you're uh you're at like a, a street fair or something and you're there with like three friends and two of them split off cuz they want to go get them fried dough somewhere uh and they've been gone for 20 minutes you don't know where they are AR is also being having like a a a, a social media app uh, or a social mapping app where you just simply hold up hold up your phone and because you have paired your app with uh, with your two friends you just simply look around and we'll put put an arrow saying saying Josh is right here <laughs> and you can see and you don't see him but you know that okay if I keep walking in this direction this is where his phone is right now and I can go and find it or find your phone or something like that uh, and the or, or the ability to Uh, when I was uh, putting last time I was trying to fix something or put together, uh, uh, put to put together like the arm for my uh, the uh, the the floating arm for my for my screen here, and I don't know. Wait a minute. The, here's a collar that I don't know where it goes on the bottom or the top. Once again, to have user documentation where you hold up your, you hold up the phone, and it just simply shows you like it, superimposed on the on the thing that you you've half built. Here is where the thing should go. Like I see that you've got the collar there on the table. It should, and I'll, let's animate this collar floating out and then slipping down to where it should go. And it's it's not one thing. It's like it's once uh, all these developers figure out, get their own imagination sort of stirred up by what they can do with it, uh, and this is the sort of it's. I'm sorry, it just it's the sort of thing where. If the iPhone has all these really cool apps for helping you to assemble your, your monitor arm and find your kid in a crowd and find out we're going to get out of the subway, which – paint please paint orange the, the building where I've got my appointment so I can't actually look and find it. That's the reason why people who are right now looking for uh, – kind of starving for reasons to buy one phone or another, that's the sort of thing that will get
1: $750 out of their pocket. So I'm really excited to, to, to see this work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Pokemon Go because people bring that up all the time. They look most successful AR game in the world. The the interesting thing about um, for those of us that have played Pokemon Go is the the AR sort of element of it of viewing Pokemon like in the real world. That was it was a kind of a gimmick in the game. Like most players actually turn that off really, really quickly because it was far easier to catch the Pokemon like on a, on a virtual thing than it was in the real world. And I think the real attraction of that game was actually travelling through physical space. So it's like there's a Pokemon at the playground, there's a Pokemon at the car park. There's that, I think that was the really big pull for that game. And so I agree, this technology is really exciting and I think it's really smart of Google to jump on board because... If there is something here, then they do risk being left behind. You can't say like oh, we have our as well, but it's available only on two phones, which are shipping from <laughs> Asus and someone else. Like that's that's not a very good story. And if someone's in a phone shop and they're like, this one does cool demos of things exploding on tables and trees and you know IKEA furniture and stuff, and ah, oh, this phone doesn't do that. Like that that's a very bad like consumer story, but. The the thing I really wonder, Andy, is I don't want to sound old and curmudgeonly, like this is amazing technology and I hope it really goes somewhere. But the one concern I have is that you're viewing this virtual world, if you like, through a relatively tiny tiny screen. So your phone, even if it's it's giant, is still, you know, very small compared to your entire field of view. And so it does feel a little restricting to be, you know, playing games or doing other things like that through this tiny little window that you're kind of moving around. It is It is cool. But I don't know there'll be as many gaming applications as as people think there will. I think it's more what you're saying. There'll be some real world things like I want to measure the approximate length of this table. I want to play something on the table. I want to point it at the back of my TV and find out what these particular ports, you know, do. Like where do do I plug in my Xbox? Which one of these, you know, 12 ports does it go into? That kind of thing. Like if if people get on board in in that kind of sense, I, I think that could take off way more than... I want to, you know, play some tabletop game and have some, you know, things exploding. As impressive th- as that is in a lot of demos, like I wonder if that's, you know, what this is not going to end up being useful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gee, that's, that's another that's another great use of AR. Be, be able to be in a store and use the use a, a camera app to not necessarily take a picture of a table or a sofa you're interested in buying but just basically you know s- scan it with a phone and then be able to go back home and again not see it that's the that's the boring demo of I know you can see where the what the sofa will look like in your in your living room but just the ability to simply hold hold up the phone now in your living room and just say will it fit between these two windows or will it not fit between these two windows or again, I have this one. Sp- I have this one space for a chair. Is a two bit will it cover up the outlet, or will it not cover up the outlet? And these uh, these are the sort of things that will really get people going. And it's 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 not just a, it's not just going to be an arms race between these two platforms. Uh, I mean any uh, any company that's got enough money to really fund apps like these, it's it's a lot more relevant if they know that they can. There'll be one version of this app, but they know that they can build an AR kit version and an AR core version of it instead of saying this is only for people who have iPhones. They can say, no, this is for anybody who has a relatively studly phone. Uh, and so that will make everybody get more interested in, in augmented reality.
1: Yeah, I would be interested actually if we have any developers um, that listen to the show that have played with both. Uh, because at the moment I've only played with ARKit, like this this AR core literally only launched like a few days ago. Like I'd be interested to know if like anyone's done any sort of comparison in, in how similar they are or how different they are, the, the kind of strengths and weaknesses, and I guess how complicated as well it would be to develop for both, because that that's the one downside of having these giant companies competing with each other is that sometimes they work on shared standards. So I guess browsers are a classic example of that. Like you know Apple uh, forked an open source project to create WebKit, and then Google forked that same open source project to create you know the Chrome browser and and that kind of turned into a fairly standard sort of set of browser rendering engines. Like I, I hope this isn't like another segmentation of like, oh you gotta build it completely custom for Google's thing and then again completely custom for like Apple's thing.
0: Hmm.
1: Well again it's as long as it doesn't become a we, we don't want every as long as it
0: doesn't become a situation where this is a chance for Google to own augmented reality or there's a chance for Apple to own augmented reality. This is something that will make this into a much more it's, – it's sort of like color photography where yeah. it's good if everything can shoot things in color. It's not a good idea if – it's not a, a, a big deal if this is a feature that's only available with certain people with certain uh, certain stuff. <laughs> Definitely. Mm. Speaking, of, uh, speaking of new stuff though, there I, I got uh, – I used the word freaked out advisedly, but I was using YouTube – yesterday or the day before and it something was odd something was off and i couldn't figure out what it was and it was bothering me Uh, and it took me a while to realize that the youtube logo is different now and that's (laughs) it's and you know what i mean where it's like if if you're if you're at a McDonald's uh, like where every single McDonald's is the same but you hit, you hit the one where the soda machines are on the to the right of the registers instead of the left of the registers and you're like there is nothing freakish about this but it's not what i've been expecting all my life and now i don't know what to do with myself <laughs> but yeah this is <laughs> so uh so there's a uh, uh there's a really great uh, article on the verge uh, about uh, what Google did. Google did uh, the the change to this logo completely in house. And yes, okay, there are also changes to the YouTube app where they've made it more material design, and they're moving more of the mobile features into the desktop. To that, blah 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 blah. Uh, but I'm really, I didn't know that the change to the logo was so interesting. Uh, for, for to start off with, it didn't. It took me until reading this article to realize that having a video app with the word "tube" in it. Not really relevant <laughs> in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, is it? Because the only the only place you see like a video tube is like by the side of a road where people have thrown out an old TV because they they don't want to spend fifteen dollars to have it recycled properly by their town. So uh, the play button, so the, the the play button is now the iconic sort of element of it and so it takes the focus off the word tube uh and uh so they uh, verge the verge wind up talking to christopher bedig who is the head of youtube's art department and uh, I'm going to quote here. Once they had decided to keep the play button and the word mark, the team set about modernizing them. Quote, the old logo has a typeface from 1903, alternate Gothic number two, and it's been manually tweaked, so there are weird design nerd things that are off. The U in tube is not the same as the U in you. So the word U, so Y-O-U, so if you take them and overlay them, they don't exactly line up, said Bending. The same went for the play button, whose four corners weren't all rounded the same way. These were little tells for those with a keen eye that design had taken a backseat over the years to scaling the product and supporting new features. There was no art department at YouTube until Bedding started it three years ago. Now he and his team had the chance to clean things up. Uh, And also the the other bit that I highlighted here because I thought it was interesting is the story about how uh, how they they had to choose which red they're going to use on this logo. (laughs) And this big, uh, you know, designers, it's... (laughs) I love designers. I just love how absolutely nitpicky they are, and not in a bad way, but like they are the ones who are like I, I we've decided that there has to be a serif on this letter. But the decide, what is the angle of that serif? And so looking at they said looking at reds, we wanted to go for something that would tie to video, but it explained. They settled on get this. <laughs> uh HTML color code FFOOOO. He says, I really pure red the ghost to the RGB of video. And I'm reading this, I'm thinking, that's the red that I would choose only because I know that it's the red channel, the green <laughs> channel, and the blue channel, and I don't want to think about it, so I'll just make it the most red I could possibly make it. But God knows how much work, how, how many meetings there were, how many arguments there were, how many feelings got hurt before they settled on exactly that shade of
1: red. Oh, believe me. I've worked with a lot of designers. I, I could tell you there would have been arguments about the typeface. There would have been arguments about the rounding. There would have been arguments definitely about the, the shade of red chosen, although I do wonder if, if something like uh, like this is like kinda like modern art. Like I suspect sometimes the reason uh, for something's creation is made up after they've actually picked the colours. They're like, We like these <laughs> colours, they go well together, like it's a consistent thing. Oh, now we need a story we can tell reporters. Oh no, we we use pure red. It's two hundred and fifty five, the highest value of red that you can possibly have. It's a it's a solid on, like red, you know, pixel on the screen. Like there's nothing more pure than that. And that's the colour that we've chosen. I'm like, really? You've just picked like red. Like it's yeah.
0: <laughs> what so uh, so why did you pick that shade of red and then they say let me take you back to the glass <laughs> studio of antonionis valigerdi who worked in milan from 1301 to 1307 now antonionis was like Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, or 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 was it that you just had to? I don't know. It's it's it's. I, I, I don't. It sounds like I'm making fun of these people, but it's a. It's sort of like there are people that are. It's their job to think about these little tiny details. It's my job to simply say, okay, so it's red then. So it's. It, I don't have that perception. That's why I'm not hired as a professional designer. But it's. <laughs> But it's always I, I I'll tell you that yeah it doesn't make sense that the curves in the t- in the play button aren't this uh, aren't rounded the same way it's weird that there are two different letter y- letters U and I will say that I never even came close to noticing that ever but nonetheless okay there are people who for whom this will annoy them uh, it r- reminds me of uh, uh I think was the was what the first. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. There's there's a, the, the old st- there's the famous story about I think it was when they changed the Google logo, and Steve Jobs called the CEO of uh, of Google and said, "You got the wrong shade of yellow in there. Here's here's the shade <laughs> of yellow you should be using." and <laughs> It's 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 a defining characteristic of someone that there for some people there is a perfect shade of yellow. For other people, it's we're kind of focused on making sure that the video plays on all these phones <laughs> without stopping. <laughs> that at some point we will get the video to play without stopping on all the phones that are out there. And at that point, we will start
1: concerning ourselves about the two different Us. Until then. I mean, Andy, if you want to get into another um, current sort of, I don't know, argument, kerfuffle, disagreement in the de- design community at the moment, um, I don't know if you noticed in the new YouTube app. They've gotten rid of the. Um, I, we used to call it the hamburger menu. I don't know if there was ever an official right. sort of name for it. The slide-out menu that comes out from the um, side. The reason it's called a hamburger menu, by the way, is because there's three horizontal lines. So you got the, you know, you got the bun, you got the, the patty in the middle. Makes a lot of sense. So now it's um, no vegetables. The way Americans like it. Exactly. No cheese. No vegetables. Um, The the other thing is you've got this bottom sort of navigation bar called a a tab bar. So there's five buttons sort of down there to, to get around the app and that's been a... I know this sounds really silly but this has been a big controversy in the development and design community like you know what do we think of bottom tabs like traditionally they're more <laughs> of an iOS concept but they're definitely material design you read the material design spec and it, it says you know these are for you know high level uh, pages inside your application that you want to move between they're like a really good way to navigate they're really obvious they're down the bottom like where people's fingers are but for some reason this is really controversial people are like no, no it's an iOS feature you, you can't bring that over like there's, there's a whole lot of debate about this but this does seem to be the way app design is going now. So you've got uh, bottom tab navigation. You've got, um, I guess, a, a cleanup of what we used to call the junk drawer as well, the the hamburger sort of menu. And it's, I don't know, I like it. It's a it's a clean sort of design. I don't have a lot of, of opinions on the logo because I am just a mega developer who doesn't know about this thing. But I, I mean, it's the app icon. Like, I, I get that. And mine, because I'm signed into YouTube Red, actually just has the... Uh, the kind of red icon, and then it just says red next to it. So I got the play button, yeah. and the word's red.
0: I do like the typeface. It looks really nice. I just, But something I just noticed right now, it doesn't have the slide-out uh, menu drawer from the left. Yeah, so and that I'm doesn't, doesn't used exist to, anymore. Yeah. Is that, is that something that is now not... Is, is that is that a feature that's now frowned upon in favor of, uh, of of the bar at the bottom?
1: Yes, I did see friend of the show, Yasmin Evian. I don't know if people remember her. Now works on the the Google uh, design sort of advocate team. Um, that I think internally they've started to call that the junk drawer because I think what they yeah. noticed is because it was hidden off to the left, what a lot of developers would actually do is just. Oh, I can't find a place for this. We'll throw it in the junk drawer. And it just ended up yeah. being a scrolling list of like, a, you know, hundreds and hundreds of items, which wasn't really what that was designed for. It was meant to be like high level navigation. And I think that's why Google, especially, is trying to push developers away from that. They're like, that has a lot of utility and it's cool, but we've noticed that, uh, you know, you, you developers, you just can't be trusted. You've junked it up. And so <laughs> if we use this bottom sort of tab bar concept, like YouTube's got across the bottom, then there is only five things you can fit in there. So So good luck junking that up, developers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I agree. I've been now. I've got the uh, Google Music app up because that's uh, that's an app that has often confused me because, uh, like, I just I just want to know where my own playlists are. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. There are some things that are in the junk drawer. There are some things are in the tab bar at the bottom, and I never know whether I should go to I, playlist. I thought should be like a first level of retrievability, sort of thing, like a top level thing. It it. Kind of confused me, confuses me that I have to go into uh, into my library like in the side there uh, before I can before I can find it, uh, and so yeah. I guess I, I guess you're right. Uh, also, also, it seems to have some holdovers from when Google Plus uh, was G Plus was supposed to be the next huge thing that ties everything together. Uh, given that the top of that uh, junk drawer always has like your identity circle uh, and stuff like that in there, so yeah, and. And I I I, I got also say that I'm a big fan of discoverability. It's I I kind of like I, I like the idea of the slide out drawer, but there there have been times where I've been using an app for several months, and it's not until like I just happened across a tip sheet that I realized that oh you mean that you can do that by long pressing on something, or oh you mean you just have to swipe from this edge to oh I would never have I would never have found that without. Just trying to press this thing wherever I can press it or tap it or click it. So Yeah, that's that's
1: the problem with um with app development. Like I mean, there are many problems, but one one of them has always been discoverability. It's like you don't want to put too many things in someone's face because you have limited screen real estate. I can't put every single action that is possible like on the screen, because then there's no screen left for the content. But at the same time, the more you hide, it's like the the more chance there is someone will never find that particular piece of functionality. So I, I sometimes get annoyed when apps put in these full screen overlays. They're like, look, there's a button up here. This is what this button <laughs> does. And I'm like, just go away. Like I, I'll figure that out later. But sometimes it's really handy. Like sometimes an app will do like a, one of my apps that I use for my TV shows and stuff did this little thing where they have um, the concept of sliding from right to left over a cell to say I've watched this show. And it's really handy. You can do it really fast. It's like a quick action. But I didn't know that was there. And then one time I opened the app and it just kind of slid the cell over a little bit and bounced and it didn't do anything else. It was just that. And I'm like, well, what just happened? And so I tried mm-hmm. to slide it. I'm like, oh, that exists. Like it was it was yep. a nice little touch. Like it would be super annoying if it did that every single time I went back, but it only did it once. Like the developers of that app, I think did a did a good job of kind of matching the discoverability of something with the annoyance factor like i, I yeah I, I can't stand those full screen overlays that you get the first time you launch an app but like just launch the app just let me look through the app like settle down
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's the that's a that's the key use of video to just show show me what i'm supposed to be doing here uh obviously i've been having that's interesting you mentioned the the that slide excuse me the uh uh sliding a, a, a list item left and right i have i I kind of wish that the momentum of that action were a little bit damped down because there are times where I will do that to see what it does. And then it just sort of like (laughs) the momentum picks it up and it disappears. And I said, well, I just wanted to, I was, I was hoping that I would slide it a little bit to the, to the right. And then it would reveal like a word that says reply or archive or schedule this. Like I'm an email client app. I wind up deleting emails when I meant to just archive them, save them for later. Uh, it's, and even though, the, even though that behavior went through so much A, B, C, D testing for so many months, it still has to be exactly right for me. And so it's weird.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is that that's one thing that Google has never standardized on. The The thing I love about a lot of these platforms is um, both Apple and Google, they'll see a behavior that happens a lot and they'll see a lot of apps adopt it and they'll be like, we should add this as a common component. And they've done that a lot in the past. But for some reason on iOS, they've got those, you know, you pull a sell over and you've got Two or three actions that are in there that seems to be a standard now. Um, Apple supported it as part of their table views for a few years now. Google still doesn't; that's not part of their common component. So, as developers, we're like, I guess we got to make this up ourselves. Yeah,
0: yeah. The the article in the Verge talks about a, a whole bunch of different ideas that they had that didn't survive contact with user testing, as the, the phrase that the developers were the designers were using. Um, they were also uh, trying to solve the problem of uh, redesigning the app to cover instances in which they don't know what shape the video is coming in because they are as designers they are mortally offended by the idea of black bars anywhere at any time <laughs> uh, and so they some 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 will see that they have like they have they have surrendered to the enemy by if someone if 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 they're displaying a vertical video that it will actually change the aspect ratio of the interface so that the controls are now just simply grouped on the bottom instead of having us uh, off to the one side or the other. Uh, and I think there are going to be a lot of people who are like, no, we, we stand firm on this. We fight. We fight until we die on this. We will not. I will not live in a world in which we will condone vertical
1: video in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's so hard to make people happy with a video app. <laughs> oh, vertical video. Don't even get me started. But the thing is, there's a lot of stuff like that when you're doing design. Like, um, the designer's instinct initially is, you know, if you have photos of people, they have to be beautiful people, like absolutely amazingly good looking people, like in amazingly well lit scenes and whatever else. Like, you see that often in, in photo demos and things like that. And then it comes into the real world and you're like, actually, my photo library doesn't look anything like that. I got a picture of a receipt. I got a picture of like my shoe. There's a picture of some not beautiful people. I'm so sorry, designers. And at the same thing happens in any sort of app design, and I think there's a there's a modern trend which I really like, which is designers are finally seeming to realize that um, it's no good just to get a mock up of like of what people's libraries might look look like or what people's YouTube lists might look like and what their wonderfully horizontally, um, you know, sixteen by nine videos look like. Like now, designers actually seem to be testing with real data, which is something I 100% approve of because you get that data in, you're like, ah. Oh. Oh man, so many people like shoot these portrait. Why? Why do ah? They- oh. And once you get over the offense of someone having shot a portrait video, you start to think, well, we're probably not going to stop all these people from doing this. So how how do we just how do we accommodate this in our design? And it leads to a better like end design.
0: Yeah, it's it's it seems like an unsolvable problem. I mean, I I too had the. Uh, I try to tamp down that little demon in my head that tries to judge other people who, <laughs> who who's, it's, it's, it's it's not your job to make sure that you shoot this video in a way that Andy Anatko enjoys so I have to remind myself of that before I even I don't comment I don't but even I'm trying to correct even my thoughts about this and then but and then there's the very very rational argument that yeah oh my god you're such an old you're such an old man you you're one of those one of those fogies who still watches videos like on computer screens where you know, you know, this is going to be shot on a phone, and then the people who are watching this are going to be watching this on a phone, and they're not going to want to have to keep turning their phone left and right to see it that way. And you know what, Andy? Maybe they're not going to care about this being shown on a movie screen at some point. So maybe it's just okay that they did it the way they did it. And so, and 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 then there's the Instagram videos that are square, and now they're 360-degree videos where it may not necessarily be formatted well for a specific format. So – uh, the the worst thing in the world must be it must have been such it must have been so such a relief to have something they can control uh, the dev- the designers like the logo where they can do whatever they want it won't screw they won't screw up anything whereas if they make the simplest decision about what uh, the what a video window should look like it's going to break somewhere with
1: somebody shooting something yeah absolutely you got you got to control the things you can't control and then sometimes you just have to have let users have the freedom to to do the stuff they want cuz i'm definitely in camp horizontal video with you Andy like and i'm even in camp like it probably should be 16 by 9 because i don't know why i get uh, unbelievably annoyed when a video is like a little bit square and there's giant black bars i'm like but, but there's so much extra space you could have been no what did you oh no using like a third of my phone screen I'm like come on
0: yeah that, that was one of the things i liked about uh, the standard iphone video player where it should be it should be considered sacrilege to a movie lover to say, but you're cutting off the left and the right sides <laughs> of the screen. There's so much important information in the left 4% and the right 4% of this widescreen video. and But no, but it's uh, – realize I'm looking on this little, little phone. I, I know. I know. You're right. You're right. But this little phone, I would much rather have it bigger and fill out the entire thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not mortally offended by black bars, but there are people that – it's they they if they they look at black bars anywhere and they think of it as almost like a envelope full of a greeting card with pink glitter in it they're just aghast and offended, <laughs> and they think that that someone hates them for having done this to them
1: ah oh, I, I will give our listeners a tip so for any of you out there that use um OS ten as the operating system for your you know laptop or desktop or whatever, and if you're watching video, um you can turn on the accessibility shortcut for zooming and then if you hold the control key and just mouse up a little bit, it actually Physically zooms your screen in, so without actually changing any anything about the browser or whatever you're watching the window in, uh, you can actually make a video fit the screen. I do this all the time with Netflix. So if I'm watching Netflix on a laptop, I'll, I'll happily cut off that three percent of the side just to get, you know, it go all the way to the top. Because, I mean, let's face it, that's how people make films. They don't put on the often very interesting stuff in the corners. The, the center is where all the action's at. So I'm all about just filling the screen. So there you go. If you didn't know that, settings accessibility on the Mac is is where you get to that. We
0: paid for those pixels, damn it we're going to use them. <laughs> exactly andy every Don lost one of them <laughs> uh well, that seems to be a good time to end on, I think don't you agree, Russell I do indeed excellent we have We have a concordance, and because now we, we are two instead of three, we can simply go with a hundred percent majority there uh let's uh, so uh, let's end with the usual set of plugs, uh, Russell, what do you want to what What do you want to plug before
1: we go? I want to plug my Twitter feed, so twitter.com slash RustySelf where you'll find... Um, some tweets of De- DevWorld, if anyone's interested in that, you'll find probably the links back to the conference if you look hard enough. And I'd highly recommend anyone in Australia who's you know is interested in development, any sort of mobile or web development, um, and can make it to Melbourne, Australia, try and get to next year's DevWorld. Amazing conference.
0: Yeah. You have no idea how much it'll inspire you to be exposed to all kinds of new ideas. Uh, it's a focused track. It's not as though this just random people. They basically picked and chose a, a course, an environment uh, of, uh, of topics that will be interesting and everything and also you never know who you're going to meet who's going to really divert you in a very positive way you can change your entire career in a very very lovely way uh networking is a f- dirty word but i'm just just hanging out with people and having drinks with people and then 11 months later remembering that oh that's right i'm stuck here trying to figure out how to do geolocation but didn't i talk to this guy who was doing nothing but geolocation maybe i'll fire him an email or fire him a, uh yeah so it's exactly it's yep. You you can't spend your entire life going to uh, conferences, but if you decide at least once a year you're going to make an an investment in your brain (laughs) to go to at least one a year, that usually pays off really, really well. Uh, as for me, as usual, uh, you go to anotgo.com, go to anotgo on Instagram, anotgo on Twitter, spell my last name, and you can get access to all of that, uh, or go to suntimes.com, the Chicago Sun-Times website for the tech stuff I write about for pay. Also, head off to relay.com material. There you'll find mechanisms in place waiting for you to send us email to give us questions questions comments observations uh, and also if you'd like to throw some money our way in the form of memberships we have memberships at many many comfortable and convenient levels we will take money in almost every single form you can throw it at us and thank you for having thrown it at us in the past uh we d- actually members just got uh, the, our latest uh, bonus special episode uh which we recorded just last week we're already getting some really interesting feedback about it uh it really was a lovely uh hour and a half long conversation that started off with the simple idea of let's take a look at the last, let's each show each other like the last phone we had before a smartphone. And it wound up being a really great three-way conversation about history and permanence and how we are telling our own stories through the pictures that we take and the data that we leave behind. I was very, very pleased with how it came out. And I'm glad that uh, the members who have uh, already heard that uh, seem uh, seem to have liked it as well. So everybody, thank you so much for listening this week. Hope you listen again next week. Until then, have a great week, everybody.
1: Bye, everybody.